Welcome to Open Minds Radio with Alejandro Rojas. Open Minds Radio is your UFO news authority, presenting evidence and the latest news regarding the UFO phenomenon. Here's your host, Alejandro Rojas. Thank you, Mr. Dean. Hello and welcome to Open Minds Radio, your UFO news authority. If we say it, we mean it. And that is the last word. Now, we're not like that. We're not like one of those Fox News things where they're like, oh, I know everything and you have to listen to me. Nah, you know, you make up your own mind. But we're going to give you a lot of great information and keep you informed so you can make your own informed decision. That is the American democratic way. Some people seem to forget. They get all lost and, oh, we can't be a socialist. But we're Democrats. And that's what we do here at Open Minds, support democracy. And we talk UFOs. Today we're going to be talking UFOs with Lee Spiegel. He is a writer for the Huffington Post. Uh, he's been in this field for quite some time. We'll talk to him about the UN initiative back in 1978. We talked a bit about that with Antonio Huneos, who also wrote about it in our magazine. But actually, Lee Spiegel had a lot to do with putting that whole thing together. So we'll talk to him about that and all of those details. We'll also talk about the Huffington Post, which he's been writing uh, in, which is great because the Huffington Post is a nationally syndicated, it's national big time online. I mean, uh, they're a news giant, and it's great to have conventional media letting Lee cover UFOs. So he also was uh, got to interview a lot of people uh, that were on the History Channel show just the other day. And he will talk about, you know, what he talked about with those people. And he's been writing some stories about those on the Huffington Post. So this is going to be a great show. I also want to thank George Knapp, another great journalist out there, who had Antonio and I on Coast to Coast AM last night. That was very cool. A lot of fun. I love George. He's... uh, just a great journalist, and uh, it's wonderful to be able to talk to him about all the latest in UFO news. Luckily, you guys get to keep up to date on that. You don't have to wait for us to be on Coast to Coast every three months or so. You get all the news right here on a weekly basis. We also have it on our website on a daily basis because we are flipping so cool. And one of the flipping cool people who help us get the news out to you on a regular basis, is our news correspondent who is here today to tell us about the UFO news this week. The gentleman I speak of is none other than Mr. Jason McClellan. How are you, sir? Good. I gave you a pretty long intro there. Yeah, and you are full of flattery, my friend. Well, people got to understand, you know, how important... Uh, you know, all this is. Well, this all is important. Yes. I myself am not important. Oh, cut it out. All right. Well, let's do this. This is your Open Minds News UFO News Brief for Monday, August 29th, 2011. Internet giant Google wants to be prepared for any disaster that could possibly materialize, including an extraterrestrial invasion. Does Google know something the rest of us don't? Probably not. Google it. But according to 
next, the next web, Aaron Feigenbaum, Google's Enterprise Director of Security, recently revealed that the company's emergency preparedness plan tries to include a wide variety of disaster scenarios. In an interview with Computer World, Feigenbaum stated, We play a lot of games here. Part of our disaster recovery plan is to assume the worst has happened. In last year's scenario, Google was attacked by aliens and California was off the map. We asked, what can we do? How do we run our infrastructure? And the inclusion of an alien attack in Google's disaster planning isn't too shocking because, as we talked about last week and the week before and the week before, this theme of these evil aliens attacking us is unfortunately quite popular right now. Yeah, it's a very big thing. And, of course, there's that story you talked about last week where NASA was said to have written this report, but it wasn't NASA. It was a NASA students. scientist, right. Um, but regardless, they're talking about some of those types of scenarios. So, Right, scientific yeah. research articles, television shows, movies, they're all doing this yep. alien invasion. Seems to be on their minds for some reason. At least they, they'll pretend to be ready. They can hire someone who... Uh, in these tough economic times, who can have a job uh, figuring all this out? Oh, yeah. Like they said, at Google, I'm sure they've got a bunch of gamers working there. And, uh, yeah. Well, let's play some alien games. We're going to shoot them with lasers. Work that into our serious work. Yeah. Yeah, somebody got paid big for that. Yep. Well, there's been a lot going on in the television world, and the Sci-Fi Channel has announced yet another television series that will explore the topic of UFOs, Paranormal Witness, We'll use what are claimed to be true stories to present accounts of UFO sightings, in addition to other paranormal encounters. This is how the series is described on the Sci-Fi's website. Don't watch it alone. Paranormal Witness is an intense, cinematic, high-octane drama documentary series. The show brings to life the true stories of people who have lived through explanation-defying paranormal experiences. Using a mixture of intimate first-hand testimony, personal photos, and real footage combined with gritty, realistic drama, Paranormal Witness will transport you into a world turned upside down by extraordinary and terrifying events. Sci-Fi already airs a number of shows that explore UFOs and other paranormal phenomena, including Factor Fake, Paranormal Files, and that has uh, Ben Hansen on it, who was a guest earlier this year on Open Minds Radio, and he will also be speaking at the 2012 International UFO Congress here in February. But this series, uh, Paranormal Witness, will premiere on Wednesday, September 7th. So check your local listings for times on that. And judging by the previews, I can't tell if this is going to be a good show or not. It seems to be super hyped-up drama. Yeah, really hyped up, you know, and this is the sort of thing we investigate and we live with. And uh, it's not really, you know, it's exciting at times, but uh, typically it's not that crazy and wild. But certainly, a lot of their hyped up stuff that they're pushing hard seems to be a lot of uh, you know more paranormal ghost uh-huh. things with chairs flying across rooms and things People like freaking that. Out. But they they claim they're going to use some real footage, you know. So hopefully they'll have some real footage, real UFO footage, and and some even real some ghost footage. But uh, I think they're also going to have a lot of um, reenactments mm-hmm. too. That's that's what the previews led me to believe because it's super drama. Yeah. Well, that's cool. We'll see what they do. I mean, it, it could be fun. Right. Cross our fingers and right. hope for the best. Again, I guess. it's supposedly based off of true stories, so mm-hmm. that could be interesting. Well, also on television, nuclear physicist and UFO researcher Stan Friedman was a guest on MSNBC's Dylan Radigan's show a couple weeks ago to lend his opinion regarding the upcoming movie Apollo 18 and the conspiracies associated with the mission that was allegedly scrapped by NASA. 
The Joy Behar Show on CNN's HLN hosted a panel of guests last Wednesday to discuss UFOs and the existence of extraterrestrials. This panel included journalist Leslie Kane, former Ministry of Defense UFO researcher Nick Pope, filmmaker James Fox, and former Arizona Governor Fife Symington. The History Channel aired a two-hour special on Thursday night titled Secret Access, UFOs on the Record, based on Leslie Kane's New York Times bestseller, UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record. Kane explained to the Huffington Post, the theme of the program is that UFOs exist, but there's a small percentage of sightings that are significant and haven't been explained. Secret Access, UFOs on the Record, which can already be pre-ordered on DVD in the History Channel's online store, was followed by a new episode of Ancient Aliens that explored the connection between extraterrestrials and rituals performed by humans. While the UFO subject is being addressed in television specials and news programs, it's not a new occurrence, but uh, I don't know, would you agree with me on this? That It seems even slightly that the attitude of the media seems to have shifted slightly, where it seemed to be taking the subject slightly more seriously as we progress? I think, I personally think so. I think it's been a slow, gradual thing mm-hmm. where it used to be the norm where everything was tongue-in-cheek and, and made to look silly. But these days, it's just the opposite, I think. Uh, you know, we look at the news all the time. Most of these stories, or at least 50%, are taken pretty seriously. You know, they just talk about the UFO sighting or the event that's happened, and they don't make fun of it. Sure, there's a lot that do, but not not all of them. And, uh, for instance, in these History Channel specials with this show with Leslie Kane and Really, most of her coverage, except for, you know, when she was on the, what was it, Comedy Central show? Stephen Colbert. Yeah, and Stephen Colbert, which is supposed to be funny, you know. It, it was taken very seriously. So um, I personally think so. I think it continues to get better and better. Well, even when they were on the, um, when this panel was recently on the Joy Behar show, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's usually a very comedic show. That's the point of the show. You know, they do a lot of entertainment news and things like that. But... And granted, Joy Behar wasn't there. They had a, a fill-in host. But overall, it was the subject was treated very seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, there were some other questions thrown in, like what do you think of crop circles and things like that. They didn't necessarily relate to what this panel was talking about. Right. But overall, the subject was addressed seriously. And this History Channel special, Secret Access UFOs on the Record, was done very professionally. And, you know, Leslie got to talk quite a bit, Nick Pope. Mm -hmm. I mean, these experts uh, were featured prominently, and basically the facts were just delivered. It was really cool, and it was a really interesting show to watch because it's it's different from a lot of the other things out there. And these are the perfect people to present it because they stick to hard facts, you know, what we know, what we can demonstrate, not uh, a lot of information that is just... uh, speculation. So I, I love that about them. So I, I think it's great. I always, I'm really happy with all of the attention that Leslie's work has been getting. Right. And it's my my opinion that I, I think Leslie Kane managed to pull off what I think her intent was with that special, and that is to highlight the importance of that, that we do need some sort of official organization to be looking into UFOs mm-hmm. because that's that's really what she pushed in this, pointing out that, yes, there are things in our sky. We have proof of this, but there isn't an organization that people can go to that is assigned to investigate this. We have our, our MUFONs and our other organizations to report things, but we don't have an official group that's going out 
in actually investigating this. Yeah, I think the problem uh, with a lot of governmental level. Well, and uh, the resources, you know, um, with the projects that get done at universities or governmental level, they get a lot of funding. And then you have a lot of resources, a lot of equipment um, that can be spent and people full time, you know, working on these issues. We haven't really had that. And, you know, if we did, we would get a lot further, I think. And that's what she's talking about. Even with MUFON, it's everybody working when they can in their own time. And these are all people with families, with jobs. So uh, very little time gets to be actually put towards towards uh, these efforts. So a full-time, you know, backed organization, private or I think a university would be best. That would be great if it was a real something they took serious. I agree. But bottom line, I, I I do think these these television shows are and news programs, you know, are moving in the right direction, and the subject is being taken more seriously, which is a wonderful thing to see. Yep. Well, I'm going to talk about fireballs. I don't think I do talked it. about fireballs last week, but yeah. we talked about fireballs a lot, and I've got more fireballs to talk about. A burning fireball was seen shooting across the sky in Cusco, Peru, on Thursday, and was recorded on video. Many fireball UFOs have been reported this year from all around the world including Mexico, Scotland, and the United States. According to CBS News, this latest fireball UFO in Peru is suspected to be a meteorite plunging to the Earth, but no positive identification has been made. And there was also uh, a fireball in Auckland, New Zealand. An unusual light was seen in the sky above Auckland on Saturday evening. Auckland now describes the descending point of light, which revealed a U-shaped nimbus when it zoomed in and on, was filmed in the sky west of Auckland about 6 p.m. on Saturday. A witness recorded the video of the strange light as it burned through the evening sky, and in the video, the witness states that the object is back, indicating that the flaming object has previously appeared in the area. But according to Auckland Now, astronomers say the light in the sky was probably not a UFO, comet, or rogue planet about to smash into the Earth, but rather the contrails of a, of a plane heading out over the Tasman Sea. So the, it seemed with this one, with the Auckland sighting, that the or, uh, yeah, astronomers, they actually convinced to, to lend their opinion on this sighting, were kind of annoyed by it. Hmm. And that came across right away. Really? So they really had to push to get some astronomer to, to talk about that. Why would they, they came, be annoyed? They That's came their back job. kind of jokingly with their response. Really? Yeah. That's frustrating. I mean, that's their job. I mean, they're supposed to be experts on... Things in the sky, and right? In space, and and you know it's possible that they were somewhat frustrated because I think there were um, a lot of people commenting on this particular video with things talking about you know planet a planet that would smash Nibiru into or something right, exactly yeah so I think they kind of got frustrated with that and didn't want to waste their time addressing crazy theories but yeah. You know what? I think this is incredible, though. Yep, another fireball, maybe two. Um, the one in Peru is a great video to add to a bunch that we've had this summer. I mean, this has been the summer of fireballs. It's been the year of fireballs. Well, it's been didn't crazy. it start in March, I think, when we started really seeing a bunch? And then March, June, July, July especially, there were quite a few. Um, this is probably like the eighth recorded fireball and. And at least maybe the third or fourth, maybe more, that was videotaped right. in a very good way where you can clearly see this strange object. Yeah. And you know, I certainly think that 
there are quite a few of these, or at least some of these, that are definitely planes in the sky because mm-hmm. contrails right. with the sun we've we've seen demonstrated can do some bizarre things that you mm-hmm. wouldn't wouldn't suspect. So the plane can actually be out of the the sunlight, the setting setting sun, while the contrails are illuminated. Mm-hmm. So it creates this weird looking thing in the sky. But others and many of these other fireball UFO videos are just completely bizarre. Yeah, as if you know, is it a function of where we're seeing more of these fireballs right now? I think it's starting to seem uh, like that. Or is it that there's more people out there videotaping? But there's been people videotaping over the last several years where we only seem to be getting this in the last year, especially this summer. So it does seem like an increase of these fireballs. I think this is really strange. Really it really interesting. is. Something to keep an eye on. Yeah, definitely. And we are doing just that. Exactly. Well... Again, uh, something that uh, seems to be on the rise, that is UFOs in New Zealand. I've got another UFO sighting in New Zealand here. This one wasn't a fireball, but it was described as a large glowing ball. And it was seen on Tuesday night in the sky above Taradale, a town in the Hawke's Bay region of New Zealand. President Colvin Steele grabbed his camera as soon as he noticed a strange light in the sky. And he was able to get the object on video. He explained that the object seemed to pulsate and it split into two objects. These objects just hovered in the sky. Then following a flash, they were gone. Hawk Bay's uh, whole planetarium director and astronomer, Gary Sparks, has suggested the objects could have been space junk, but the witness disagrees, explaining that there was no indication of disintegrating debris, and the objects simply appeared to be hovering. They weren't mm-hmm. moving at all. And got to say, the video is... Uh, not really worth watching at all. You can't make anything out from no, this really. video. Most of the video is him trying to focus on this object, so it's only slightly in focus at the end of the video, and you can see these two distinct lights, but that's it. But going on his description, that these lights were one object, a pulsating object, and splitting into two, and then after a flash, they vanished. That's an interesting sighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially given his testimony. Right. And... Again, after the unfortunately low quality video, that's all we've got to go on. Yeah, but you should you should see the video, at least the still from the from the video. I've seen the still, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, because there are two objects you can see. One is uh, I think one is red and one is white, mm-hmm. but they seem to have some defined shape to them. Possibly a defined shape, where the shape is the same, so it could have been a movement of solid points of light. That is absolutely possible. So, yep. Well, Alejandro, that is all the news I have for today. Well, there's something else we need to talk about. Let's talk about something else. Dale, I forgot Dale's picture. We haven't talked about that yet. Well, I don't know if you want to tease people. We don't have it here to show for people watching on the on Well, the people go online to our Facebook. They can check out our Facebooks, yeah. Any of our Facebooks. Yeah. Jason's Open Minds is what his is. Maureen's is Maureen Open Minds. Or go to the UFO Think Tank slash Open Minds. Uh, radio, or my uh, Facebook, and you'll see this absolutely incredibly cool picture done by Dale Hendrickson, who is a character designer for The Simpsons, and it's us. And it's it's me going, ha ha, being goofy. You doing what you do all the time, Sitting yes. here like this, and Maureen with, with a laser, and she's some sort of alien, uh, but I mean a very curvy, well-drawn Alien. 
Well, that's going to shoot us with her laser. She is an alien, so it's an accurate representation. I mean, that that's not weird. Although she said she's protecting us, which I think is better. Right. Think of because in the drawing, she's sort of hovering here at the table with the gun, making sure that uh, she's either protecting us or making sure that we stay on time. I don't know. (laughs) Right. I don't know what she's doing, but the I'm very happy she doesn't really have a laser when she's in here because I probably would have a couple laser holes. I think she'd through. be trigger happy. That yeah. is true. One right here. Be able to see right through my forehead. But many, 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 many thanks to you, Dale. We appreciate it so much. It's incredible. And to show my appreciation, next, not next week, but the week after, I will be on the show with a coffee mug that has the picture on it. Oh, really? So that will be the coffee mug I use on the show. Wow. Sweet. Proudly displaying our work of art from our friend Dale. Yeah, you're going to come to our houses and you're going to see everything with the, this picture on it because it's so cool. Sorry, Dale. We love it that much. Yep, we just love it, love it, love it. Thank you so much. And, uh, of course, heard from a lot of people who love it, too, because it's so funny and it's so cool. Yeah, that is right. Well, Alejandro, thank you for letting me be here. That is it for the news. Remember to check out these stories and more at OpenMinds.tv, your source for UFO-related news. I'm Jason McClellan, your Open Minds news correspondent, and you've been briefed. Back to you, Alejandro. All right. Thank you, Jason. Uh, You know, something someone asked about in the chat was about the Roswell material, and I've had some other people ask about that with Frank Kimbler because he was going to get it looked at again. He's still in the process of uh, working that out, so working out with a different – because it's complicated. You've got to work with the lab. You've got to work with the people who are fronting the money. And so uh, he's working on all of that to get it done. So uh, that's still being done, and I'll let you know when that happens. Uh, Otherwise, some of the other stories that you can find on our website are, just today I posted one about a box-shaped UFO report from New Hampshire in 1966. This uh, story was put together by, uh, by Michael Schratt, but it's actually from the NICAP files and the CUFOS uh, UFO files. And uh, it's a very interesting story. With It comes with some great artistic renderings of this UFO this gentleman claimed to have seen that is very boxy in shape. And it uh, supposedly land, uh, had landed on the ground. He saw it. It, it raised up and kind of moved and, and landed again. And uh, very interesting sighting and uh, cool pictures and very strange shape. Someone uh, was pretty funny when we posted it. He wrote that uh, perhaps they were so excited when they got their new spaceship that they left it in the cardboard when they flew it around because it looks like a cardboard box. So pretty funny. Also, we have a lot of information on Bud Hopkins because unfortunately, as we told you last week, Bud Hopkins has passed away. uh, And that happened last Sunday, so just uh, a little more than a week ago. Well, we were able to find a video in our archives, and actually it was uh, something that was provided by Maurizio Bayara, who used to work here with us, and it's an interview he did in Italy in 1997 with Bud Hopkins that hasn't been seen really here in the United States before. It was used for Italian television. So we put uh, that whole video, or we put a lot of the video, if not all of it, about an hour's worth up on our YouTube. 
Also, if you go to our site, you will be able to click a link with a short story from Antonio about uh, Bud Hopkins. He actually knew him fairly well because they both lived in the Manhattan area together for a while. So Antonio wrote some about that. And then you can see the video and the interviews there. So it's very fun because the, the tapes were very well preserved. I don't think they've been viewed much since uh, they were uh, brought here by Maurizio. And so we took that and we were able to transfer it in a high quality. And uh, it looks great in one of the rare instances where you'll see Bud Hopkins in a suit because usually he's a very casual guy. So you'll be able to see that there. Also, we have some more stories uh, from the UK UFO files. What Antonio did, I told you about Ralph Noyes last week, who Antonio wrote about, who was the Undersecretary of State for the UK, uh, who retired in 1977 and then started uh, kind of harassing the government about UFOs. While he was in the military, he says he didn't talk about UFOs because he was, felt he'd be his work would be rubbished, as he said, that they'd make fun of him. So instead, uh, he waited until he retired and then really started pestering the government to get information out. Uh, Antonio wrote a second story, and this time about uh, Admiral Lord Hill Norton, who uh, also, I mean, this guy was in charge of the Navy. He was in charge of defense. He was in charge of the military for NATO. Lots of very high titles. He became a baron. And then when he was in the House of Lords, uh, retiring kind of from the military and stuff, he began to also petition the MOD. And I guess, I don't know if petition is the right word, because if you look in the UK UFO files, and we have some of the good quotes on here, he really kind of battled with the MOD, very concerned that they weren't taking UFOs seriously, and essentially telling them they're absolutely absurd to say things like the Rendlesham Forest and other important cases are not of national interest because, as he puts it, he knows defense. He was in charge of the U.K. defense, and he knows that these are things that should be taken seriously by the government. So you can really, this battle is documented in these U.K. UFO files that have come out, so we put those out. And also I have a new Huffington Post story up where I kind of outline all of that and that there were people who were interested in UFOs, high-level officials, and that is very well demonstrated here in the UK UFO files that Ralph Noyes, Lord Hill Norton, and of course our good buddy Nick Pope, who worked for the MOD UFO desk, who all feel that UFOs need to be taken seriously. So that's some of what you can find at the site and around the web that we've been up to. However, why don't we move on, because i got a lot to talk to Lee about, and get Lee Spiegel on the phone. All right. We have on the phone the person everybody has been waiting to hear from, and I am, as usual, excited to speak to, Mr. Lee Spiegel. Hello there. Well, thank you for that glorious introduction. Well, I think it's deserving because uh, you, and I wonder if you feel this way, you're kind of, ufology's champion in conventional media, at least nationally. Well, boy, <clears throat> that's an interesting way to, to think about it. I, I mean, I've been doing this, whatever this is, for a, a long time, mm -hmm. and um, it, 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 it's like, it's amazing that I'm, I'm working for 
such a big news organization, the Huffington Post, and that they're actually letting me write as many UFO stories as I want. <laughs> yeah, which is really cool. I mean, Huffington Post is one of the main uh, leading online news sources, right? Oh, absolutely. And in fact, it's it's probably the biggest news online source for blogging uh, mm-hmm. news events. Uh, and and I, I, I don't remember when, but at some point, I believe Huffington passed um, companies like the New York Times as far as readership. Wow. Or, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. We have so many different divisions, and they, they seem to like the fact that uh, UFO stories have such a big, broad appeal. Yeah. Well, I followed them. I've always been a fan of Ariana Huffington anyway. I was mm-hmm. surprised when Huffington Post went online and it started doing what it's doing now and becoming kind of this uh, hub. They're definitely on the cutting edge of social media integration into news. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Yeah. So it's, it's very cool to see you, who, of course, I was seeing you on the AOL News, which is another national group, so that was great, to then move over to the Huffington Post. And you said there was something to that, that uh, you guys were kind of lucky to be able to make the move. Uh, we were. <clears throat> Before, uh, th- there, was a, there was a merger, in fact, between Huffington Post <clears throat> and AOL News. And uh, it just, just happened within the last few months, and the companies came together to form what is now called the AOL Huffington Post Media Group. And, and so... We have uh, people from both companies, and so sometimes the story that I might write for the Huffington Post might actually end up over at AOL, but the bulk of the stuff that I do is is for Huffington Post, and uh, and I'm very happy about that because it has a big readership all around the world, and and I want my stuff to get out there and to be read by as many people as possible. And not everybody, is it true that not they didn't take all of the departments from AOL over to Huffington? That's right. The The way it worked, without getting too much into you know, all of the logistics of it, um, basically AOL had its own separate news divisions and, and uh, style divisions and different sections of people who were writing. And when the merger happened, it just didn't make sense for there would be one big company with with like two newsrooms, two news divisions, two this and two that. And so they did a lot of consolidation. And the, the, the section from AOL that they kept, because Huffington Post didn't have their own weird news section, mm-hmm. <laughs> was that's, that's where I was writing at AOL. Uh, I think because they... They understand that that there is uh, there is a big interest in all things weird, not just UFOs, but mm-hmm. people. You know, Alejandro, people uh, get sick and tired of reading about tax hikes and m- mortgage foreclosures and mm-hmm. unemployment and global warming. They want something. You know, occasionally it's a little more weird. And you know so what's that, funny. That's, Looking yeah. at the weird news is that, you know, I, of course, am into UFOs and stuff. They put it in the weird. At first, you're kind of like, oh, that's too bad they put it in weird. But uh, at least they're covering it and stuff. And paranormal in general is in the UFO or in the weird news. And by looking at the weird news, it made me think what's funny is pretty much everybody is into something weird. 
I mean, they have something about themselves that's unconventional. Not everybody is just totally conventional in everything they do. They have interests that are considered weird to others. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, we have people literally crawling out of the woodwork who want to have stories written about them. And there's a guy, he's one of our favorites. He's he's known as the, the, the lizard man. And he basically, he's something like 99% of his body has been transformed so that he looks like a lizard. Oh, I mean, my he, gosh. He, he had he had his tongue lengthened and split into two. He's got horns growing out of uh, out of his forehead that he had surgically, you know, implanted. His entire body has has tattoos that actually make him look like the creature from the Black Lagoon. Wow. Uh, in fact, a couple of months ago, when we when we were doing one of the um, uh, stories where some people were claiming that a lizard man had attacked them in one of the, the southern states, well, I called this guy a lizard man just to get his take on it. <laughs> <laughs> How funny. That was just my brother Chuck. Yeah, that's that's right. We we haven't seen each other in an eternity, but yeah. it's good that we're both in the news. <laughs> oh, that is really funny uh, because, uh, of course, with all the lizard reptilian type of ideas it'd be interesting to get his take on reptilian aliens i i know <laughs> <laughs> i know reptilian aliens yeah uh, uh, news at 11 <laughs> so you know for me it was exciting of course to see you come up because uh and become a or start to write on this major national in aol and now in huffington because really there aren't a lot of people who uh like you make it kind of a point to regularly report on, in a serious manner, these serious and important uh, UFO stories that come up? Well, I, I've been discovering more and more as I, as I cover different stories that it's, it's, it's not just the, the bare-bones story itself that's interesting, but I'm seeing that when you put the story aside and you see what's really behind the scenes or the aftermath of stories, that's what's really interesting to me. The, the History Channel just premiered, and they're, they're probably going to show this many times throughout the month, um, a two-hour special about UFOs. And and I wrote two stories about the, the special and, and the people involved in it. And, and and discovered as I was putting the stories together that there was so much more to the cases than just the cases themselves. And that's what's always interesting to me because I think the American people would like to hear more things that are credible to help them make up their minds about what the whole UFO subject is all about. Mm-hmm. What would be an example of that, kind of this peripheral that you discovered? Oh, okay. <clears throat> Here's a perfect example. In, in the History Channel special, uh, they they do a recreation of a famous UFO case. And I remember when this news broke, it was uh, at the end of 1986, and it was. It was all over mainstream news of how the crew of a Japan Airlines 747 were flying over Alaska when they reported being followed and paced by first two small UFOs, and then they vanished, and those were replaced by a gigantic circular craft that followed them for miles and was outmaneuvering them, outpacing them, doing just amazing things, you know, things that the planet Venus wouldn't do, as the debunkers right. might say, 
was the cause of it all. And they they asked for Anchorage Air Traffic Controller. You know, do you guys have any any other traffic up here? Um, the Anchorage radar operators didn't have it on their radar scopes, but when they checked with the local military uh, base, the military said that they had uncorrelated targets wow. up there with with the 747. And so this dialogue went on for a while, and the, the radar reports were there. The radar was picking up these extra targets. Eventually, uh, the UFOs vanished, and but not before doing this for 30, 31 minutes. So it was a pretty long encounter. So um, shortly after that, the, the news of the encounter was brought to the attention of a man named John Callahan. Callahan was the head of the uh, FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration's, uh, they had a special division that handled accidents, investigations, and evaluations. This was his job, to look into any anomalistic things that happened with airlines. And he got a hold of all the radar tapes, all the um, the audio tapes between the uh, the crew and the, uh, the air traffic controllers, and he went through everything. And uh, at one point, and, and here's where, for me, the story gets really interesting. So he got a call from the CIA, and and he said, and they said, we need to have a meeting with you tomorrow, uh, be at such and such a place, and bring all the materials that you have on this case with you. So he packed everything up, went to the prearranged location. There were three CIA men there, a couple from the FBI, and several members of President Ronald Reagan's scientific team. And Callahan, three times went over the details of the UFO case about the 747. He, he played back all the tapes, showed them all the radar um, screens three times. And finally, it, when, when it was all done, one of the scientists, he said, stood up and said, okay, this is what we want. We, we're picking everything up and we're taking it with us. And the CIA uh, guy stood up and looked at Callahan and said, um, this event never happened. We would never hear, and you're all sworn to secrecy. And we're Just taking like everything with us. Waves his yeah. arm, you're sworn to secrecy. Yeah, and so Callahan told me, and and he has he has spoken about this now recently. He based, he said he turned to the CIA guy and he said, "Well, what what was this object that you're also interested in?" And the CIA guy said it was a UFO. And, and Callahan said, well, then shouldn't we put out some word to the media to let them know that there was an actual UFO event? And the CIA guy said, no, you can't do that. We won't allow you to do that. We can't let that information out because the American people can't handle it. Mm-hmm. Like, whoa, okay. And, well, and luckily, and Callahan that, kept copies of that, the radar data. Yes, he did. Yes, he did, and and that's been shown on 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 previous History Channel specials, and and you can see this stuff. But 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 again, the the other interesting thing that he told me was, for the final ten years of the work that he did for the FAA uh, in the government, he was involved with disinformation, lying to the media and lying to the public about things like this. He said disinformation is something that is approved by the government. 
that Callahan was involved with this? Yeah, he actually wow. said, I, I was involved with disinformation, and now now that I'm retired, now I'm talking about it. So like and as an the FAA kind, official. Yeah, and that's the kind of stuff that, that I'm very interested in because it, it, it almost doesn't matter what the skeptics or debunkers say. If you have a case where where people are really investigating this, the CIA is involved, the FBI people on the on the president's scientific team and 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 someone from the FAA FAA says he was doing deliberate disinformation then that's really important even mm-hmm. Nick Pope our right. friend from who used to work at the the Ministry of Defense in Great Britain for 3 years he was in charge of all of the UFO material that came through the Ministry of Defense and he told me a few weeks ago uh that Right now, he's apologizing for the fact that he was involved with dirty tricks that the the British government was playing on the media and the public to to ridicule UFO reports. And again, I hear this kind of stuff, and I go, "Wow, you know what's really going on here?" Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, it is. Uh, and I didn't know about Callahan being part of that disinformation. Yeah, and it made me think of Nick Pope, who says he was also, um, sure. and even apologized for it. That was what was incredible about his, about his interview with you. He actually came out and apologized. He, he did. And he, and and the documents, the Great Britain recently released a few weeks ago, uh, I think 34 new files of previously classified UFO documents with a total of about 9,000 pages worth of documents. Mm-hmm. And they covered the years 1985 to 2007. Well, those years, the three years that Nick was in charge of the UFO office there for the Ministry of Defense, 1991 to 1994. So he was right there embroiled in everything while it was going on for these documents. And he said to me, he said, it's entirely possible that I drafted some of those actual reports where we deliberately ridiculed the reporters and the stories and for that i'm deeply apologizing mm-hmm. yeah it's a, um, it's kind of shocking you know and at the same time uh it just reminds me with the with callahan what it reminds me of is the chicago o'hare report because when the chicago oh, yes. o'hare uh, incident happened in 2006. I know you spoke with uh, George Norrie about this last week, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. I heard you on that. Great show. And uh, that the FAA had lied to the Chicago Tribune investigator who was looking into this case at first until they put in a FOIA request. And then they came out and said, okay, yeah, we did have radar data. But it was probably a weather anomaly. <laughs> right, right. A weather anomaly that hovers over the airport. It's circular in shape. It's seen by several eyewitnesses. And then when it leaves, it doesn't just go to the left or to the right. It shoots straight up into the air. And as it goes through a cloud, it's like a paper cutter it, or a cookie cutter. It cuts a perfectly circular hole through the cloud as it moves upward. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, with the uh, in this case, and uh with the FAA, they had to come clean because of FOIA documents. However, the United Airlines never came clean. They said, oh, no, nothing happened. Nobody reported anything to us. But the Chicago Tribune talked to 
United employees and pilots who did say they reported that to their superiors. Do you feel that, you know, with, with Callahan talking about disinformation, Nick Pope uh, and the FAA or and United, do you feel that there's some sort of conspiracy or do you think it's more of a conspiracy to not make them look silly? I'm not sure if it's either of those things, Alejandro. Mm-hmm. I I, I I keep hearing this this phrase code of silence, mm-hmm. and and I think what may be happening is well, a couple of things, a couple of possibilities. I, I don't think it's it's a conspiracy unless, by definition, conspiracy means you have information about something which could affect a lot of people, and therefore you don't tell them the truth about it because you don't want to to affect their lives in a negative way. So mm-hmm. therefore, that could be a conspiracy. Uh, you're conspiring against getting the truth out. Okay, maybe that means that there is a conspiracy. But on the other hand, um, yeah, there are people who wonder, well, why don't the UFOs just show themselves? Because they must know that they're causing havoc down here uh-huh. by appearing in front of so many people. Well, my my response to that is, you know, is it possible that anybody really on the planet knows the agenda of whatever these visitors are? Uh-huh. You know, be, because, you know, we we always like to think that we're in charge of everything. We know everything that's going on. We're the smartest guys around. We're the right. only ones on the block. And, and it unnerves people to realize we're not. Yeah. Steve Volk, uh, I don't know if you've noticed his book. He's a writer for Philly Burbs, or, uh, uh, and he wrote a book about fringology, just kind of mm. how he looked into ghosts, and he saw it was legitimate. He looked into other paranormal stuff. So he wrote this book kind of examining just exactly what you're talking about, how yeah. in society we have to know everything. Um, and it's probably okay to admit that we don't know everything because – it's absolutely silly to think that we do know everything. I mean, there was there was a time in this country, around the time of the 1930s, when the the Orson Welles presentation of War of the Worlds came out, and and people who heard the radio broadcast went into a panic because they thought that we actually were being invaded by Mars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there is that mentality, or there was that mentality that told higher ups, the officials, the government, that maybe if the truth were to come out that we're being visited by someone, that maybe the American public or the public around the world would not be able to handle this kind of information because it could automatically change everything, society, religion, technology. Um, And yet there, there are so many people now who say that not only are they ready to know about any possible visitations, but now people are claiming that the reason why we're not being told the truth is because of things like, well, the technology. If there's a technology out there that can really help us do amazing things, like maybe run our automobiles without gasoline and use some other power source, well, would the oil companies want that to be known? Probably not. Um, If there's a technology or a civilization that have learned how to eliminate sickness and disease, and they want to share that with us. Well, if that happens, and there's no more sickness and disease on planet Earth, then do we need the pharmaceutical divisions and companies? 
probably not. I think that so, makes a lot more sense because we are an economic-based, not just society in America, globally now. And so it seems most things are driven by economics. And that would be an economic reason why people would want to hide uh, this technology. Yeah, and, you know, the, the all the arguments that say, well, nobody's visiting us because they couldn't possibly get here from there. Mm -hmm. Well, really, is, is that true? Do we know for a fact that nobody could get here? See, <clears throat> you and I mutually know nuclear physicist Stanton Friedman, mm -hmm. and he, he likes to say that when, when people say, well, that bit of UFO behavior is impossible, what they're really saying is, I don't know how to do that. Right. <laughs> you know, and if, if I don't know how to do it, then it must be impossible. I and always think... The, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, these people who take these stances, I kind of laugh at it as opposed to get so frustrated because, I mean, the skeptics, I don't know why someone would want to label themselves a skeptic because those are the people who in history are the complete fools. Like the people who say we can't fly or that to break the, the sound barrier is impossible. They're seen as complete fools in the, in the future. Yeah, it's like these are, the, these are the people who apparently enjoy having eggs smeared all over their faces. <laughs> yeah, they're just asking for it. And it's funny because uh, they complain about, you know, assumptions being made on the, the side of, of UFO researchers. But those are pretty assumptive things themselves to say that these things are impossible, and we don't know that at all. Well, it, it's like, let's, let's remember, everybody, that we, as, as a species, we've only been, we've only had any kind of sophisticated technology for, what, two or three hundred years right. at the most? So what if, what if there's another civilization, or as, as astronomers love to now theorize, there are probably tens of thousands of other civilizations just in our little Milky Way galaxy. Mm -hmm. So what if, what if a couple of other civilizations that might be, might be a few hundred, a few thousand years older and slightly more advanced than we are, so they've had a little bit of a head start or a kick start, so w wouldn't they possibly have many more amazing things that would appear to be amazing to us? Of course they would. Mm -hmm. So... If if they do have amazing technology, then chances are they've figured out how to get here from there. Oh, just right. because just because we're still using you know propulsion systems <laughs> to have to launch something from the ground to get us into orbit, just because we haven't gotten to warp speed yet or hyperdrive, doesn't mean we're not going to. Yeah. But so you have to keep it in in that perspective. Now, because we don't know how to do it yet, doesn't mean somebody else knows how to do it. Yeah. Now, I wanted to get into your past. I wanted to know. Uh, go My shady with, past. <laughs> yeah, let's go back to when you were roaming the streets of New York in your velvet suit with your switchblade in your back pocket. No. Um, I was well, more, well. Uh-huh. Oh, did I hit well, you, got, you, you have to protect yourself in New York City, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when was it that you first got interested in UFOs? 1973. The year I was um, born. Just because of that? <laughs> that's right. I got this message. I heard 
someone named Alejandro has just come into our reality. <laughs> And you will you will intermingle with him in about thirty years, <laughs> and you will come to find the answers to all the UFO secrets. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and and we're getting closer and closer. I was uh, I was actually working uh, in the, the music industry, and um, in 1973 there was a, a very big wave of UFOs seen across the United States. Just a lot of sightings. It was making the news. Uh, talk shows were talking about them. Uh, and it just kind of caught my attention. And um, and I started seeing people like uh, Stan Friedman, uh, the late astronomer Alan Hynek, uh, astronaut Gordon Cooper on, on a couple of talk shows. And I thought, boy, this is really interesting. And I found a few books. I started reading about them. And, and became even more intrigued. And the more I read, the more I wanted to hear from these people that I was reading about. And at the time, in 1973, uh, 73 and 74, there was really nothing going on where you could just go into a store and buy a DVD because there were no DVDs back mm -hmm. then. There, there weren't there weren't even really any videos uh, back, back then, then. People were saying DVDs are impossible. <laughs> that's, There's that's right. no way they'll be able that's to. That's right. The, the DVDs can't get here from there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and and so, uh, but what what you could do was you could hear things. You could buy records. You know, back then, uh, you could buy. There were actually stores, many stores, where you could buy vinyl records. So I, I came up with this idea of wouldn't it be nice to be able to hear the voices of some of these people I've been reading about, some military people, uh, some astronauts, some scientists, some police officers, and some government officials. It would be great to hear them all together on a record, on a recording. I would like to hear that, and I think other people would too. So I was able to get... Uh, a meeting, an audience uh, at the CBS, because CBS at the time they were they had a division called Columbia House, and what Columbia House was uh, a, a division of recordings where they would have television commercials at night, where you'd see like a two-minute commercial, the great Mantovani strings and orchestras. You know the best of Perry Como. Uh, you know all, the the best classical music on two vinyl records, and they would have these these like early infomercials, but they were only a couple of minutes long. Uh, where if you send, you can you can get either the vinyl record, and if you don't want the record, you can get she do any any people still understand or remember eight track tapes. Just because my stepdad was using them up until five years ago, that's why. I still ah, know. sure. So I thought, well, this would be, be great, and if I could get an audience at CBS and try and convince them uh, to give me some money <laughs> so that I could travel around the country and interview these people I was reading about, and uh, but I needed a partner, and and one of the more popular books out at the time was called Beyond Earth, Man's Contact with UFOs. And it was written by Ralph and Judy Blum. And I became friendly with them in New York. And uh, together we did a presentation at CBS and 
Ralph um, really helped to sell the company on the idea that if we put this record album together, we could do a TV commercial for it because I wanted to sell it on TV. And basically, if you if you send in your money and get the album or the 8-track, you'll also get a copy of Beyond Earth, Man's Contact with UFOs. <laughs> and it was one of those things where if you get the package in the mail and if you don't like the album, send the album back, but keep the book. <laughs> 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 you know, um, and CBS went for it. They said, yes, uh-huh. th- this is interesting because no one had ever sold a product like this about UFOs, an actual documentary, on television. Have you now, gotten those commercials up on YouTube yet? No. Oh, <laughs> man, I'd funny. like to see that. That's very funny, you know, um, because we made one commercial, and I have it. I, I have oh, a recording of it. Oh, that would be great. Oh, my gosh, that would be great. Wow, that, that's that's very interesting. I may have to, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that. I may have to, like, upload that to YouTube. <laughs> yep. Well, what's cool about about that commercial was um, while I was running around the country and interviewing people, and the people that I was interviewing for my album were all people who were featured in Ralph's uh, book. So he helped to set me up with these people. How cool. So that, that, that was just really great. And so as I was traveling around the country and, and talking to them, I realized I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to find a host for the album, somebody who's going to be the narrator of, of this thing. And at, my first choice at the time was uh, Rod Serling because the Twilight Zone was still very hot back then, uh, and it's still hot in reruns everywhere. Uh, but as it turned out, in uh, 1975, uh, Serling was very sick with cancer, and and so his family informed me that he he wouldn't be able to do this, and and soon after that uh, he passed away. So, so my second choice of a narrator for the album was a guy who who I liked just as much as Rod Serling. When the Twilight Zone TV programs came out in the late 50s and early 60s, at the same time. Another show came out called One Step Beyond. Hmm. And in One Step Beyond, like the Twilight Zone, used a lot of unknown actors who later became very famous actors. The difference between the two shows was where Rod Serling introduced stories that were just totally science fiction, totally bizarre. One Step Beyond introduced stories based on real, unexplained phenomena and psychic events. And... The, the director and the host, <clears throat> the on-camera host of One Step Beyond, was a man named John Newland. And he used to just come out on camera, introduce these stories. Then you'd see him within the actual sets of some of the stories. He'd be narrating it just the same way that Rod Serling did with The Twilight Zone. And so I went to California and I met uh, John Newland which was amazing for me to meet him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and over a lunch and a handshake, he agreed to be the narrator for my album. How cool. <clears throat> it was very cool. And, and uh, we brought him to New York uh, to, to read the copy of, um, of the two-minute commercial as well as the, the, the actual copy, the narration of the album. And he came to New York to do the, the two-minute commercial spot, and, uh, and they put the, the commercial on TV. 
And uh, <laughs> the commercial ran on television. It ran <laughs> in the National Enquirer. <laughs> we, wow. had, we had a couple of uh, commercials there and sold it in a few other places. Uh, Dr. J. Allen Hynek loved the final product, and he arranged mm. for it to be sold through the Edmund Scientific Catalog. I mean, how cool. I was in heaven. Oh. And, Did you and, interview? And uh-huh. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to ask if you interviewed Stanton Friedman back then. Stan Friedman was the first person I ever interviewed about UFOs, and it was for my album. Oh, wow. The reason I ask is because about six years ago, he came mm-hmm. and did a talk. I was living in Denver then, and I was yeah. like, do you mind? Uh, uh, it was for Colorado MUFON. I was part of that, and I was, I was like, do you mind if I record this? I want to put it online, and he looks at me funny, and he says, you can do that? <laughs> I was like, I told him, I have the technology. And he was like, yeah, that's great. It was pretty funny because here you are, you know, 30 mm-hmm. years prior, and you're recording them and putting them on vinyl. So. Oh, well, i got to tell you, um, when <laughs> when CBS gave me the money to travel around the country, I, I, the first thing I did with some of that money was I had to buy a recorder, you know, on which to make all the recordings. And I wanted <laughs> I wanted something that was compact. I wanted like a high-quality cassette recorder that had Dolby in it that could reduce wow. any background noise and 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 so I bought this this uh the Sony tape recorder it was so big <laughs> and it was so heavy it almost tore my shoulder blades apart oh my you god you know trying to trying to carry it on and off a plane oh the, the the thing the thing was was about a foot and a half wide um about 7 inches high and it must have weighed like seventy-five pounds. Holy and, and, moly! And it, it, its only function was to put a tape in, close the close the compartment, and hit record. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny! What did it have like a vacuum tubes in it? And... Well, I, I I felt like I I could have made toast with it. I mean, they yeah. could have done all kinds of things. So I traveled around with this wow. thing. Uh, I mean, a huge, <laughs> heavy recorder. Um, and and so in planning the, my trips about where I wanted to go and who I wanted to interview, uh, I thought that I would start in California and work east and arranging people's schedules. So it turned out that Stan Friedman, who lived in California at the time, uh, he was available. And so I went and I met him, went to his house, met him, and this was 1975, and uh, when I was done doing my interview with him, and I was so impressed with him because, you know, here we are almost 40 years later. He and I are still friends, and he's always stayed consistent with, with his views and the things that he has to say about UFOs. And so while I was there interviewing him, he said, you know, there's a guy just up the road here who you might want to talk to also. He's, uh, he's an aerospace engineer. Spent 43 years working for McDonnell Douglas, and his name is Dr. Robert Wood. Oh wow! And 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 now Robert Wood is on the board of directors of Mufon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so here's he's a guy. Great. You know, he spent a lot of years at, at McDonnell Douglas, and one of the things that one of the first tasks that he did at McDonnell Douglas, he was given the job of trying to figure out putting a team together to try and figure out how these things called UFOs possibly worked to see if McDonnell Douglas could somehow engineer similar craft. 
So that's why and Stanton he, was in California, probably. Well, what he, what Robert Wood did was he hired Stan Friedman, mm-hmm. and it was the first paying job that Friedman ever had in UFOs. Yep, and it didn't. Unfortunately, it got canceled before it started. Right. I think. Yeah. So after I interviewed Stan Friedman and Robert Wood, then I went up to uh, to Hollywood uh, uh, to, and interviewed uh, Gordon Cooper, the former astronaut. Oh wow! And that was the first time that Gordon went on record, literally on record, on vinyl record, yeah. to to talk about UFOs he had seen and about a UFO that had landed out on the dry lake bed at Edwards Air Force Base. Holy moly, uh, wow. That, that's, that's the first time that that story ever came out. And um, and so then then I started moving around the country. Then I went to Chicago to, to interview Dr. David Saunders, who was a member of the Condon Committee mm-hmm. in the 1960s. And while I was there, that's, that's when I met Alan Hynek. So I interviewed Alan wow. Hynek for my, for my record. I was just moving around and just talking to people. It was great. Mm-hmm. So and then at some point, and I don't know, let me know if anything else uh, significant uh, you were involved with happened in between, but then okay. you got involved with the UN initiative. Yeah. I, I, uh, after the album was done and we premiered it in 1976, um, I started getting bored. <laughs> it's <laughs> like I, I, wanted to, I wanted to do something else because yeah. I realized – you know, back then, nobody was using the word disclosure. Mm. Um, and yet the album that I did was one of the first forms of disclosure, I believe. Right. Yeah. Um, and so so around 19... So the, the album came out in 76. And, and then around 77, I started noticing in, in the news that this guy named Eric Gary, the prime minister of the tiny... Caribbean country of Grenada, he was trying to get the United Nations to pay attention to his own personal UFO crusade. He wanted to form some kind of a UFO committee based on the fact that he had seen UFOs in his country, many other people in his country had seen them, and he thought that this would be probably good for for tourism in his country as well. Um, And the, the United Nations very politely paid attention every time he went and did a speech and started talking about UFOs. But nobody ever did anything about it. <clears throat> so I got an idea. I thought, well, this is great. I, maybe, maybe somehow I could get to the United Nations and do a presentation. Because I asked a few people around, and I was told, if you want to do something at the UN, if you want to do a presentation on anything, you can't just walk in off the street and say, hi, can I do something on UFOs, mm-hmm. please? They won't let you do it. You have to be either part of a specific delegation that's doing this, or you have to be uh, like an associate delegate or, or a temporary delegate. And so I met a couple of the ambassadors uh, of Grenada. I Basically, I just went to the, to the mission, the Grenada mission in New York, and I brought with me a copy of my UFO album from mm-hmm. 1976. And, and I, I said to them, I'd like to present this uh, to your prime minister as a gift. This is what I did, and there are some amazing people on this album. Would you please give the prime minister this, and I'd love to meet him sometime. i got a groovy album here that Gary's going to be really hip to. <laughs> That's right. It'll, it'll climb the charts of Grenada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Well, not long after that, the ambassadors called me and said, uh, the prime minister is is coming to New York. He's going to be knighted to be Sir Eric Gehry. Yeah. And uh, he has invited you to come to the ceremony at the United Nations. He'd like to meet you. And I said, great. It's wonderful. I'd love to meet him, too. And so I went and was there for all the pomp and circumstance of you know m- making him Sir Eric Gehry. And when that wow. was over... We we met privately for just a few minutes, and he said that he enjoyed my album, and and I said, well, I thank you very much, and Mr. Prime Minister, uh, I'd like to make you an offer, a deal, and and basically I said, you've been trying to get the world body to pay attention to your UFO interest, but they don't seem to be interested in what you have to say. I, on the other hand. I have all the people in my back pocket who could come and make an amazing presentation on your behalf if you will sponsor my presentation. And he said, okay, let's do it. Cool. And, and then I, so they had to make me a, a delegate. And they gave me like a little laminated wow. card with my name, my name on it and said, you know, Mr. Lee Spiegel is an actual accredited delegate of the country of Grenada. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and they, they gave me checks, you know, paid from the Bank of Grenada. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to make sure really fast that they were, they, they were good checks that wouldn't bounce and <laughs> that was yeah. not okay. <laughs> and, and so I went to people like Alan Hynek and Gordon Cooper and Jacques Vallée and said, do you guys want to play with me on this? Because here's a chance for all of you to get up in front of the United Nations and do your thing. And they all said, yes, of course we want to do this. And so I I spent uh, 1978 putting this together with Alan Hynek and all these other guys. And it was just, you know, amazing. There's a... the uh, in in July of 1978, there was a an interim meeting at the UN because during the summer the uh, the, the General Assembly and the Special Political Committee were on vacation, but the Secretary General Kurt Waldheim wanted to meet with those of us who were planning to do this presentation in November, and so we all sat around this this big conference table. And a lot of pictures were taken, and those pictures of all of us sitting there have been published in so many newspapers and magazines over the years mm-hmm. uh, of the group of us who were putting together this presentation. It's in our magazine. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I know that. <laughs> and and so during that year, um, part of my plan was I wanted to put a, a, a packet of materials together, like a document package of all the best things that I could come up with that would try and lend some credibility to the presentation. And and so one day I was uh, at Dr. Hynek's office in Evanston, Illinois, and, and I said to him, look, for 20 years you were the scientific consultant to the Air Force's Project Blue Book, the official UFO investigation arm of, of the government. You were there for 20 years. You must have had your hand in some filing cabinets once in a while before you left. I'm asking you to give me something that I can then have translated into several languages at the UN so that we can include this for our presentation 
that people would read and go, wow, this is amazing. And I said, what can you give me? And he went over to his filing cabinet. He opened it up. He pulled out a manila envelope, and he handed it to me. And he said, well, I'm not sure if this is what you're talking about, but take a look at this. And what he gave me was uh, about 14 or 15 pages of something called uh, Introductory Space Science. And it said, Volume 2, Department of Physics, United States Air Force, Chapter 33, Unidentified Flying Objects. And I said, well, well, what is this? So it turns out that this was, in 1968, when this was written, um, the Air Force uh, decided to include in one of their physics textbooks, the name of the book was Introductory Space Science, that was given to the Academy Cadets. Um, at the at the Air Force Academy, and they wanted to give their cadets information about UFOs. And and I was reading through all the pages, and I was going, oh my God! Well, like, wow, is this real? And he said, yes, this is real. And and I'm not sure if it's a smoking gun. I'm not sure if people will consider this proof. But I said, well, I think this is very hot. This this is really great. And and so you, when you when you go through the chapter. I mean, the Air Force told their cadets uh, things that they suspected about UFOs. You know, again, while 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 concluding publicly that there was nothing of scientific interest about UFOs, this chapter uh, continued as part of the Air Force Academy curriculum after the close of Project Blue Book. And I find that to be very interesting. Yeah, and they basically they say things. I'm going to, I'm going to quote a couple of things from the, the chapter right now for you. There's, it says, "What we will do here is to present evidence that UFOs are a global phenomenon which may have persisted for many thousands of years," and and they go on to to give the cadets many examples going back thousands of years where extraterrestrials may have intervened uh, and interacted with humans. And here's a here's another little section that says UFO sightings not only appear to extend 47,000 years through time, but they're global in nature. One has the feeling that this phenomenon deserves some sort of valid scientific investigation. Okay? And then they go on to give more examples of UFOs. And then they start getting into specific things that UFOs might turn out to be, like mysticism, hoaxes, natural phenomena, secret weapons, and then they come down to alien visitors. And under the topic of alien visitors, it says, the most stimulating theory for us is that UFOs are material objects which are either manned or remote controlled by beings who are alien to this planet. There is some evidence supporting this viewpoint. Um, here's, here's another, again, it's part of the trying to justify to the cadets why they think that this is so. It says, we may be the object of intense sociological and psychological study. In such studies, you usually avoid disturbing the test subject's environment. You do not contact a colony of ants, and humans may seem that way to any aliens. And here's a variation. A zoo is fun to visit, but you don't contact the lizards. 
<laughs> so, yeah, right. You, know, you can you can see the theme kind of running through this. Um, I love the document too because even years later, most of it is still valid. Um, yeah, which is one of these statements and and the conclusions where they're talking about there could be four different groups of aliens all at different stages. But this, I think, conclusion is pretty accurate today, where they say. A solution to the UFO problem may be obtained by the long and diligent effort of a large group of well-financed and competent scientists. Unfortunately, there is no evidence suggesting that such an effort is going to be made. <laughs> yeah. Still true to this day, because is, I think that's is, the most that important amazing? thing that could happen. It, it's amazing. It's like, well, you can't win, mm -hmm. you know, any way, any way you turn. Yeah. Uh you know, and it make and it makes you have to wonder, well who's who's really running the show here? <laughs> you yeah. know? Uh and all the all the people like you and I can do is try and little by little get some kind of credible information out there and, mm -hmm. and hope that people use it for whatever they want to use it for to either either expand their, their, their thoughts on the subject or to I don't know, help their lives in some way, but you know, people ask me, "Well, do you think you're going to you're going to see these things? Uh, will the truth come out within my lifetime?" Well, I hope it does. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do hope it does, and I, I hope that it, it does for people like Stan Friedman, who have spent their entire lives looking into this thing, and and who you know, they someone like Stan deserves to see this truth come out in his lifetime. Yeah, yeah, and I think that you know. Leslie Kane, her book uh, has been a big, uh, has been very effective. I think the biggest things are, that are most effective are treated well by the media, and it's not something that's really in your face all the time. It's very subtle, and uh, the important part is when you have people like Michio Kaku or a few mm -hmm. of the other scientists who have come forward and said, "You know what? I've looked at uh, this book." And it makes me think that uh, this is a worthwhile effort to investigate this phenomena. Yeah, and, and I also happen to agree with uh, former Army Colonel John Alexander. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that lately a lot of people have been claiming that he's a real man in black, yeah. that his only, his only mission in life is to spread disinformation around the world about UFOs. And he but loves that. What I like, yeah, <laughs> What, what I like about John is he's one of the few people out there saying, hey, you want to talk about disclosure? Well, I'm telling you, disclosure has been happening for decades. And I think he's right. Uh, I, I absolutely think so. I agree. I think that, you know, obviously going and pounding at the door of the White House is not getting people places. And the people, once you get the door open, you're going to open the door and they're going to go, sorry, we don't know nothing. Because... Those people aren't the right people to know. Yeah, and who who do we think we are that, that well, gee, why don't they land on the White House lawn? Well, why should they? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, these things can and do land wherever they want. Yeah. You know, why do we think that, well, they must land on the White House lawn, otherwise they don't exist? Well, gee, I'm sorry, but how many countries are there in the United Nations? About 150 and and we're we're so egocentric that we think that it must happen in the United States or that uh -huh. the announcement must come from the White House. I'm sorry. I I don't happen to fall 
into any of that, but but a lot of people do. People tend to think that, well, if our leaders tell us one thing, we must pay attention to them, and if they tell us that there's nothing to it, then we'll have to believe them and let's go about our, our dreary lives. Yeah. It reminds me of that great analogy that you just talked about, about the ants, and it would be like, you know, us yeah. sending an, an ambassador to the ants. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hello, we are humans. <laughs> I like that, an ambassador to the ants. We want to open up diplomatic relations with the ants. Yeah, and, and that's exactly how we might appear to some extraterrestrials. Now, I also happen to believe, and I don't talk about this a lot, but I do believe that it's possible that some kind of contact has been made between mm-hmm. some visitors and, at the very least, some military uh, people because there have been too many stories told by, by a variety of military people about how a ship has either landed at a military base and some creatures got out of it and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and so, uh, naturally, they would want to keep these kinds of stories secret because uh, any country that can, you know, shoot a flying saucer out of the sky or if a, if a saucer crashed lands, well, any country would take an obviously military attitude and say, well, we, we have to get it. We have to figure out how it works before the next guy does. Mm-hmm. So I, I understand all that attitude. It, it doesn't make it right. And right. it doesn't help. It doesn't help the situation. I, I just would like it if people weren't ridiculed anymore. Yeah. So, so that you, you know, when when uh, Dennis Kucinich was asked during the nineteen during the two thousand and seven presidential campaign, uh, you know, Tim Russert uh, of NBC said, "Is it true that?" You've seen a UFO. And as soon as he asked the question, there were snickers and laughs throughout the audience. Well, why does that happen? Yeah, it was was surreal when I saw that because of the nervous laughter and stuff. And it's like, why are you people laughing? I mean, this is someone who saw something extraordinary. Yeah, and he never said that he saw an alien spaceship. He said, I saw something I can't identify. And then they laughed at him. And, and I keep saying, why? Why are you laughing at someone, anyone, who says that? I, I don't understand the attitude. Yeah, and and unfortunately, uh, I think Tim Resser knew the reaction it would get, and it was kind of uh, him kind of lobbing a grenade at Kucinich, and yeah. people laugh as he goes up for, for no reason, it's like, if you want to ridicule someone, well, I guess that's one way of doing it, but why... Why does ridicule have to even be associated with this? Mm-hmm. That's what I don't understand, and that's what I'd like to see, you know, go away. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, this conclusion, again, this Air Force conclusion is, is great because the very last sentence is, the best thing to do is to keep an open and skeptical mind and not take an extreme position on any side of the question. Um, yeah. Because it's right, we don't have enough information to take an extreme position. And I kind of see when people are laughing at someone, that's kind of taking an extreme position that this person's foolish because he saw something he couldn't explain. Yeah, I mean, maybe the powers that be on this planet, maybe they already know that that maybe it, through interactions in the days of the Bible that visitors came down from the skies 
and actually helped to to seed human life here. There are all those kinds of um, theses, theses going on out there that people are hypothesizing that, and maybe some people think that that we couldn't handle that information. Okay, fine, maybe that's true, but do you have to ridicule us yeah. when we say we saw something that we know was unexplainable? You know, don't talk down to us and make us feel like we're we're not worthy of anything, and that's that's what's been going on for decades. Yeah, you know, it, it kind of reminds me again of that Steve Wolf book, and I think he even is blogging for the Huffington Post also, at least ah. uh, has once or twice. And uh, his was the kind of the same thing. He was thinking, you know, when he started thinking about the paranormal, he had a ghost experience in his past, and he mm-hmm. was thinking, why do I have to feel ashamed because I believe my parents and the experience that, you know, they talked about having in the past, I really shouldn't feel that way. Uh, I should be able to, you know, just accept it and, and examine it. I agree. And, and I also want to let all of your listeners know that if they're not aware of this yet, that uh, they should check you out as a blogger now on the Huffington Post. Thank you so, so much for helping that happen, too, because I am so excited and happy to be uh, blogging for the Huffington Post. It's a great uh you guys have a great team on the weird news, and uh, it's just a lot of fun. I, of course, getting exposure to these stories, and it helps me feel the, to, to help out, to also help champion uh, this whole subject. Yeah, yeah, and it's worth it's worth championing, I think. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's great stuff. I mean, because you know, uh, getting back to Leslie King's television show, and, and more specifically your story, you by writing about uh, Fife Symington and Nick Pope and uh, Charles Halt and all of these other, you're championing their mm. story to the public. I am, because I I think that they need as many positive voices backing them up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I you know I can't prove what they say, and in most cases they can't even prove what they say. Right. But these these are highly credible people who who need to be listened to and who should not be ridiculed by those who have no idea what they're talking about. Um, that's, you know, and I, I say to people who are skeptical, they, they, they try and bait me into a debate, and I, I never debate anyone. All that I say to people is, how much time have you personally put into uh, investigating this information on your own? Have you yeah. spent... Uh, many years have you traveled around the country? Have you interviewed people? Have you gone to museums? Have you gone to archives in Washington? Uh, exactly how much time have you put into uh, investigating it to come to your opinion? And if you haven't put this kind of effort into it, then you don't really have a valid opinion. Yeah. I just and try I to, to hand them. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I you know, agree. I, I, and I, I say this to people, and, and I have found in the past, basically, so, you know, sorry, but it pisses them off because they don't want to be talked down to like that. And I say to them, well, then don't ridicule other people if you don't yeah. know what you're talking about. And unfortunately, this includes the major skeptics out there, like the um, Benjamin Radford out there uh, on the MSNBC, I think, and then or even Seth Shostak. They haven't even begun to investigate the the phenomena before they make their conclusions. Yeah, yeah, and and you know for the most part, I know all of these skeptics, 
And I actually, <laughs> if they weren't skeptics, I like these people. Yeah. I've, I've, ha I've had very nice conversations with them. They're very easy to get along with. They just have this one character flaw. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we all have them. I guess yeah. we're running out of time, but I do have one last question. And, okay. Uh, it's really around, you know, uh, the your experience with the History Channel and writing this story, because uh, I guess a cynical perspective of why the History Channel would do a great show like they did is that they're just going for ratings. But did you find something different that these people actually take this uh, subject serious? Yes. I spoke with uh, Julian Hobbs, who is the executive vice president, uh, he's the executive producer of the History Channel. And and I asked him last week, I said, you know, you've done many UFO shows. Um, why are you suddenly doing a two-hour special? What what gives with that? And he said, well, the, the only reason why we're doing this, and yes, we have done many UFO shows in the past, but after I read Leslie Kane's book, it was so compelling, and it, and it changed my views and some of my opinions on the credibility of this that I decided to go with this. And without her book, there would be no show. And that's mm -hmm. why we did it. You know, we gave Leslie Kane the um, UFO Investigator of the Year Award last year. Oh, uh, great. And she deserved it. And, uh, you know, I just can't say enough about her work and getting this book out and how great it is. And yeah. uh, wonderful that you're picking it up and running with it as well. Well, I'm I'm happy to do it. And... And I, I haven't yet had a chance to have her autograph the book for me yet. Uh -oh. <laughs> that's going to that's that's happen really soon. <laughs> Good. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. We're pretty much out of time. I guess people can go to Huffington Post and click on the Weird News link, which is right on the front page, and they'll be able to see your stories there. Or just Google or go to the search on Huffington Post and put in Lee Spiegel. Find you either way, huh? That's right. And if they just want to Google Huffington Post, Lee Spiegel, um, it'll it'll take them to any number of my stories, and then from there they can find all of my stories. Yeah, that's the best way to find people these days. Just Google their name, and you'll have it all. Well, thank you, Alejandro. It's been great talking with you. Yeah, thank you for, for being on the show. Thanks for helping me get the Huffington Post blog, and uh, keep it up. Keep on keeping on. I will. <laughs> all right. Uh, good night. Good night. All right. Next week, I want to let you know we're not going to have a show. Uh, we're going to take the week off for the vacation. Also, uh, the chapter he was talking about, about uh, the Air Force physics document, you can find that online. And actually, CUFON, C-U-F-O-N.org has that also. And finally, in two weeks when we do come back, we're going to have a special show with Jason McClellan, our news correspondent, because he wrote about Billy Meyer. So we're going to go over his Billy Meyer research. So thanks for joining us this week. Don't forget to visit openminds.tv for the latest UFO news and information. And we'll talk to you in a couple weeks, people. <laughs> <laughs>